Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this podcast all about the addictive personality. Now I would be the first to admit that I probably have one. I get hooked on things, attached to things quite quickly. But what does that actually mean? Where does this personality come from? What does it mean to have this kind of personality trait if you like? So that's what I want to look at in this podcast. I want to talk about the theory behind addictive personality explain the three parts of personality as identified by researcher Isenck, including their biological basis. And then this theory of personality will be applied to the explanation of addictive behaviour. Finally, I'll close the podcast by evaluating this theory. But first of all, we need to talk about what we mean by addiction. Addiction is a term that it's, I mean, we commonly uh, use that term in everyday kind of conversation. So people may say that they are addicted, if you like, to a TV show or state they have some kind of coffee addiction, maybe. However, the clinical definition of addiction as a diagnosable condition requires a number of criteria to be met. So in general terms, an addiction is when an individual feels compelled to consume a substance, so things like alcohol or heroin or cannabis, or engage in an activity, something like gambling or video gaming, for example, often involving a lack of self-control over that behaviour. There is another particular podcast on the channel that I've recorded um, where I look at the disease model of addiction with Charlotte Isaacs. and that focuses particularly on drugs, if you are interested. Uh, so that's one maybe worth checking out. Now, the DSM-5 has a number of criteria that must be met for a diagnosis of addiction to be given. Now, before I move on, I just want to explain what the DSM-5 actually is. The DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illness, version 5. It's used, basically, it's like the go-to guide by professionals to diagnose mental illness. So the DSM-5, as I said, has certain criteria laid out, including taking the substance in larger and larger amounts, craving that substance, withdrawal symptoms, so the negative symptoms you get when that um, thing, if you like, is taken away, and tolerance. And I'll explain that uh, a little bit later in the podcast. But what actually causes addiction? Well, Many theories of addiction have been proposed. Some of these theories place the blame on the environment, such as peer influences or upbringing. But other theories state that the biological causes are to blame, so things like genes or the neurotransmitter dopamine. Now, one theory of addiction, and one that has, I guess you could say, popular appeal outside of psychology, is that of the addictive personality. Now, this theory states that some people have a personality type that predisposes them towards addictive behaviour. This personality is caused by differences in the biological makeup of individuals. It's been argued that people with this personality type are, I guess you could say, prone towards addictive behaviour and are more likely than people with other personality types to become addicted to a substance or a particular behaviour. So let's dig a bit deeper into Eysenck's theory of personality. Well, Hans Eysenck proposed an influential theory of personality, and this theory has been applied to explain a whole variety of behaviours, including addiction. So Eysenck argues that personality is made up of three particular aspects. Extroversion, neuroticism, 
and psychoticism. Now, each of these aspects of personality can be seen as a scale, if you like, where an individual can score high or they could score uh, low. So extroversion. So people who score high in extroversion are outgoing, they're social and enjoy the company of others. People who score low in extroversion, this category, are described as introverts. They're a bit quieter, a bit shyer, and find socialising to be quite difficult or stressful. Then there's neuroticism. So this refers to how emotionally unstable a person is. High scores in neuroticism are associated with excessive worrying, anxiety, depression. People with a low score, however, have emotional stability, meaning that they're able to better cope with things like stress and anxiety. And then there's psychoticism. Now, people high in this category are willing to break the rules, less conforming to social norms, I guess you could say. But they can also be hostile, inconsiderate, reckless, impulsive, and even lack empathy. People low in psychoticism show normality, meaning that they are empathetic and they're more likely to follow social norms. So I think, oh, I think argues rather that our personality has its roots in biology, with the different aspects of personality being affected by the nervous system that we inherit. So in terms of extroversion and introversion, what we could say is that while introverts have inherited an over-aroused nervous system that's highly sensitive to noise and stimulation, the nervous system of an extrovert is under-aroused, leading to the individual to be, I guess you could say, sensation-seeking. With neuroticism and stability, well, that's determined by the reactivity of the sympathetic nervous system, or the SNS as we refer to it. A highly reactive SNS will overreact to stimuli and cause that person to be quick to anger or to fear, causing neuroticism. Stable people, therefore, have a less reactive sympathetic nervous system. And then if we look at psychoticism and normality, high levels of the hormone testosterone have been found to be related to high levels of psychoticism, with low levels related to stability. Personality is assessed through the use of the Isenck Personality Questionnaire, or EPQ. Now, this is a list of just 100 yes or no questions, each of which assesses one of three aspects of personality. So, for example, the question, are you a talkative person, is assessing extroversion, while do you suffer from nerves is measuring neuroticism. One thing that I would like to do in this podcast is take Isenck's theory of personality and apply it to addiction. So Isenck proposed that some people were more vulnerable to addiction due to their personality. He argued that people who have a particular type of personality seek out addiction as a way of, I guess you could say, coping with a need that's driven by that personality. So this addictive personality, if you like, is characterised by high levels of psychoticism and neuroticism. So let's talk about psychoticism and the idea of impulsivity. So one of the key characteristics of high levels of psychoticism is being impulsive. Impulsive people, and I would probably put myself in that category as well, I'm quite an impulsive person, impulsive people may act 
before thinking, and they tend not to think about the long-term consequences of their actions. So that bit perhaps isn't true for myself, but I sometimes get called a little bit impulsive. Now, this means that such people may engage in, I guess, risky behaviour, such as drug-taking, uh, without really taking into account the negative effects of that behaviour. Now, this link between psychoticism and addiction is backed up by research. Researcher DeWitt in 2009 found that impulsiveness was a cause of addiction. However, it was also an effect of addiction. So if impulsivity causes addiction and then addiction makes an addict more impulsive, it creates this, I guess you could call it a feedback loop, worsening the addiction overall. Researcher Stevens in 2014 found that high levels of impulsivity tend to lower the success rate for addicts receiving treatment. Those who are impulsive are more likely to drop out of rehab and less likely to stay abstinent. So completely clean, essentially. I'd like to now consider the idea of neuroticism linked to self-medication. High levels of neuroticism are linked to things like moodiness, depression and high anxiety levels. Now, Isenk argued that people high in neuroticism would therefore engage in addictive behaviours as a way of escaping their problems. Research from uh, two renowned scientists, Mayruf and Griffiths, uh, for example, found that online gaming addicts scored significantly higher on neuroticism. Now, it could be argued that gaming, much like substance addictions like alcohol or drugs, are being used to help the individual escape the problems caused by their neuroticism. It's been found that stress, so another trait associated with neuroticism, not only played a role in the initiation of addiction, but it also made relapse that little bit more likely. Other studies, though, have supported the link between high levels of neuroticism and psychoticism and addiction. In 1996, researcher Francis found high levels of psychoticism, psychoticism and neuroticism in people addicted to nicotine, alcohol, heroin and things called benzodiazepines. Similarly, other researchers found high levels of psychoticism and neuroticism in a sample of Indian heroin addicts. Now, it's worth noting that Isenk argued that extroversion has very little impact on the likelihood of addiction and was therefore not important to the theory of the addictive personality. That is supported by research, suggesting that there is no significant relationship between scores of extroversion and addictive behaviour. A large problem with this theory is that it's almost impossible to assign a causal relationship. Much of the research has been correlational, meaning that while we might find that personality types are related to addiction, we cannot be certain what has caused what. So perhaps, as Isenk suggests, it is the personality that has led to the addiction. However, it is plausible that becoming addicted to a substance or behaviour may result in changes to personality leading to an individual to become maybe more impulsive or more neurotic. There may also be an underlying cause for both addiction and personality. Perhaps a 
Um, for example, a traumatic event that could lead to a neurotic personality and the same traumatic event may lead to addiction later in life. One study that may be able to shed some light on the issue of cause and effect is that of Cuomo's in 2009. So uh, he conducted a semi-structured interview or a number of interviews rather on prisoners both with and without substance abuse problems. Now, as suggested by ISENC, those with substance abuse problems were more likely to have high levels of psychoticism and neuroticism. However, they were also more likely to have suffered childhood trauma. Now, that suggests that the argument that personality alone leads to addiction is most likely well, an oversimplification. Another issue is that the theory could be argued to be reductionist as there are other factors that seem to be related to addiction, just besides personality. Kubica, um, in 2001, a researcher conducted a 24-year study in the Czech Republic and found that while neuroticism did seem to be linked with addiction, other traits had an effect. Lower IQ, for example, was a strong predictor for smoking, and gender also had a strong influence on some addictions. Again, it, it suggests that there is more to addiction than just personality type. One factor that is overlooked by this theory is mental illness. Now, addiction is highly, let's just say comorbid, with a number of mental illnesses. So, for example, something like antisocial personality disorder. This condition is rare in the general population, but around, I think it's around 40 to 50% of substance abuse abusers rather meet the criteria for a diagnosis. Perhaps the high levels of psychoticism and neuroticism are caused by the underlying mental illness, and it's this illness which causes the addiction. Methodologically, there are many issues with research into addiction in general, and specifically with studies into personality. Many studies have used animal models and applied their results to humans. So, for example, uh, Dali back in 2007 simply found a relationship between cocaine addiction and impulsivity but in rats, not necessarily humans. Now, generalising from animals to humans may not be valid. Humans are capable of much more complex behaviour and thoughts than animals, and it may not be appropriate to assume that addiction develops in the same way as in animals. However, studies involving human participants are not without their issues. Many studies rely on self-report data, often through just interviews or questionnaires. Now, as you can imagine, this poses several issues that may lower the validity of the data collected. Addiction, I guess we could say, is a socially unacceptable behaviour, so addicts may not be truthful when answering questions, as they wish to present themselves, understandably, in a positive light. This phenomenon is actually known as social desirability bias. They may also lack the insight into their own behaviour to answer truthfully. So, for example, if asked about how many units of alcohol they drink per week, most people tend to underestimate. Some have argued that Isenck's entire theory of personality is fundamentally 
flawed. The personality test, the EPQ test, that assesses personality could be argued to have a social social desirability bias, as I mentioned. So, for example, an individual may want to answer yes to the question, are your feelings easily hurt? But because this is a socially unacceptable answer, the person would say no instead, lowering the validity of the data. Isaac's theory may also be flawed as it just assumes that personality is stable over time. But it could be argued that this is not true and that personality changes throughout our whole lives. Whether this would be related to changes in addictive behaviour is unclear. It could also be argued that personality changes day to day and it's dependent upon many, many several factors such as mood, uh, what company we find ourselves in and the events that we experience that day. So if personality is fluctuating and unstable, can it reliably be used as a predictor of addiction? Another issue with this theory of addiction is that it can't be applied equally to everybody. There are many addicts who just simply do not have the characteristics of the addictive personality. So how do we explain addiction in those people? Likewise, there are some with the characteristics of the addictive personality who do not develop an addiction. Isenck's theory uh, struggles to actually explain that. On the other hand, this theory can explain why not everyone who engages in potentially addictive behaviour or who takes addictive substances does not develop an addiction. Some people can smoke, they can drink and take drugs and stop whenever they choose, while others develop an addiction. Perhaps the difference between these two groups is due to personality. Those who become addicted possess the characteristics of the addictive personality, while those who do not have a person or, or those who do not have a different personality type as such. Like other theories of addiction, the theory of addictive personality really does uh, possess some ethical questions. So, for example, if it was found that an individual possessed the addictive personality yet had not developed an addiction, what could you really do with that information? So, on the one hand, this information could be useful in developing measures to prevent addiction in those who possess a vulnerability, I guess. On the other hand, if a person knows that they possess an addictive personality, they may feel that they have no free will over their behaviour and so develop an addiction in a, well, as it's known, a self-fulfilling prophecy. As personality is something that is individual uh, and, guess, one has little control over, you could argue, or we could talk about this idea of determinism. So, an addict who has been diagnosed with an addictive personality may feel that they have no control over their addiction at all. On one hand, this could be beneficial. Addiction would then be seen as a mental disorder that needs treating rather than a crime that requires punishment. Addicts may be more likely to seek help for their addiction and courts are more likely to refer addicts to rehab than to prison. However, this view could also be incredibly damaging. If an addict believes that their addiction is caused by, for want of a better word, forces beyond their control, their personality, I guess, they may feel powerless 
and unable to make the changes necessary to actually beat the addiction. A final issue is that this theory has limited scope for treatment. Personality can't be easily modified in therapy. However, it could be argued that gaining an understanding of the personality type of an addict may give some scope for personalising the treatment given. So, for example, the type of cognitive skills training may be tailored towards an individual who shows high levels of impulsive behaviour. I think really to conclude this podcast, I guess what I'd want to say is that whilst it does seem likely that the personality traits of psychoticism, or in particular impulsiveness, and neuroticism are correlated to addiction, it seems pretty unlikely that personality is the sole cause of addictive behaviour. Perhaps the truth is just a combination of factors. The diathesis stress model argues that mental illness is caused by a biological predisposition towards a disorder, the diathesis, combined with an environmental stressor, so the stress. An individual will not develop a disorder unless they have both the predisposition and the environmental trigger. Therefore, with addiction, the diathesis may be the personality type and the stress may be a negative life event such as maybe a divorce or becoming unemployed or a bereavement. The stress may even be experimenting with an addictive substance. This expansion on the theory may be able to explain why not all people with the traits of the addictive personality develop an addiction, so diathesis but not the stress, or why people who experience life stresses or who engage in addictive behaviour do not develop an addiction. So the stress but without the diathesis. There's quite a lot to think about there and if any of you are listening there have any particular comments or questions about this particular area do get in touch at kytosbiology at gmail.com. All that remains for me to say is a big thank you to everybody for listening and a thank you to our sponsor um, as always Curriculum Press for providing me with content for me to use for this particular podcast. Thanks again everyone.